Today on the program, the Requesta Fiesta will take us around the world with questions from several listeners, pronunciation of some terms that you won't normally hear in your English class, we'll learn expression from Canadian Prime Minister Justin Trudeau, and some thoughts on maybe the bright side of the coronavirus epidemic. You're listening to The Kyle Miller Show. All right, everybody, welcome to the show. And we have a special one for you today. That's right, it is The Kyle Miller Show. And today we're going to begin with a section, well, a request section. That's right, our Requesta Fiesta. Yeah, that's right, because uh, I want to start with it because we want to make sure we fit in all your questions, and we have several questions today from listeners, but before we do, I want to also remind you of how you can participate in the show. Uh, You can write in, uh, well, on Instagram or on Twitter, but for the Requesta Fiesta, Ideally, we use your audio files. So if you have Instagram, you can send me a voice message through Instagram. And of course, the account is I'm Kyle Miller. So let's check the account now and see what messages we have. Hi, Kyle. This is Kublai Khan. First off, let me congratulate you for your lessons. You're an outstanding English teacher. We love you. Could you talk about the use of whose with adjectives and relative clauses? For example, is it correct to say, whose white dog that beat you yesterday is that? Thank you. Okay, well, that's an interesting question. Hmm. And actually a tricky question. And I don't know if I'm going to answer it exactly as you ask, because this is a bit of a dangerous question. Es una pregunta peligroso. ¿Por qué? Why? Because really the answer to this is very, very high level, and I will get into that, but it also opens the door for a further discussion of whose, which is one of our more challenging question words. So really I want to focus on some of the more basic uses of whose. If you're worried about relative clauses, then you probably have a strong grasp on the basics, which is a good thing. But most people uh, would benefit from a more basic introduction to this question word, whose. So uh, before I get into your question specifically, let's talk a little bit about the question word, whose, which basically means de quien. So we're asking for possession when we use this word, okay? Whose. So we say, whose pen is this? Whose book is that? Whose class is this? Whose show is this? Okay, de de quien es? Este programa. Whose show is this? And what I want you to remember is that the object that you're talking about always directly follows the word whose. So we say, whose show is this? We don't say, whose is this show? We say, Whose show is this? Okay, that's one thing I want you to remember. And that, that's true in direct questions and also indirect questions, right? So if you say, for example, um, you could say, uh, whose, whose book is that on the table? 
And then in the in indirect question, I want to know whose book that is on the table. But with respect to the word book, it's always going to be whose book. So the object always comes directly after, right? We never say whose is that book or I want to know whose is that. No. Okay. Whose book is that? Whose pen is this? Whose class is that? Whose phone is that on the table? Okay. Now, in terms of your question, the, as a relative clause, can you say, whose white dog that bit you yesterday is that? Okay, yes, you, you certainly can. It's just like saying, whose dog is that? Whose dog is that? Except the object just has several more words. Whose white dog that bit you yesterday is that? So absolutely you can. But as a relative clause, basically a relative clause just tells us which thing or which person the, the speaker means, really, right? So if we say, uh, the woman who works in the hospital is my sister, okay? Now we can use who in relative clauses for a person, and who would be followed by a verb, right? Who works the guy who the guy who works in the office is my brother right now we use whose in a relative clause instead of his hers or theirs so whose is followed by a noun whose book the guy whose book we read was waiting in line next to us now this is another case i want to get into this too in this case whose is like where you would use in spanish cuyo so this is another use of whose, cuyo, or cuyo, cuyas, cuyos, right? Kyle is the guy whose brother lives in Indonesia. Although right now my brother is in Singapore, in Singapore. My brother's in Singapore now. Kyle is the guy whose brother lives in Indonesia, but who, who, whose brother is temporarily living in Singapore. Kyle is the guy whose brother and his wife are living in Singapore, for example, okay? So that's another use of whose. But basically, I want you to think of that, whose to mean two things, one for possession, and then the other thing, in the other case for um, whose in the sense of cuyo, cuya. Now, getting back to relative clauses, we can also use where as a relative clause, like where would be followed by a noun or a pronoun, and which as well, so who, Whose, where, which, these can also be used, these can all be used in relative clauses, right? So, but really, what I wanted to talk about a little bit more is the general uses of whose, because I think that's more of a fundamental uh, challenge for most of the listeners. Okay, hopefully that answers your question, uh, Kublai. So yes, you can, absolutely. Your question was, is that sentence correct? Whose white dog that bit you yesterday, is that? Okay, sure. Why not? Let's take a look at another question. Hi, Kyle. I'm calling from Arequipa, Peru. My name is Claudia. And my question is, when do you use uh, do did, get, got, have, had, and go, went? Thanks. See you soon. All right, that's our friend Claudia checking in from Arequipa. And that's a city in Peru. That's right, Peru. Cool. 
Uh, thank you, Claudia. Were you, was she making popcorn? Was she, was that, like, microwave popcorn being made? <laughs> in the back. Cool, I've never had that before. Someone uh, sending in a voice uh, message while making popcorn. Cool, I like that, though. So, uh, do, did, get, got, have, had, go, went. So these are the basic conjugations of uh, four very important verbs. Now, I cover these sorts of verbs in my first book, The Verb Circus, Los Verbos Esenciales del Inglés. That's right. But do is a particularly interesting one because it often serves as the auxiliary verb. Um, So, do you have... You know, do you have time? Yes, I do. Or no, in the negative, no, I don't. But as a main verb, so it seems to me that Claudia is asking about these verbs as used as a main verb. So do is simply the past form. Sorry, did is simply the past form, right? Every day I do my homework. Yesterday I did my homework. Every day I get uh, several emails. Yesterday I got several emails. Lately, I've gotten several emails. Lately, I've gotten a lot of calls from relatives. I've gotten a lot of emails from friends in Canada. So the participle, the third conjugation of the verb to get, is gotten. But we, we actually have a double uh, participle there. Sometimes some people say uh, every day, or lately, I've got. So it can be got or gotten. Uh, so the, the best way to practice these verbs and to really drill them in and gain fluency with them is simply to uh, to make little sentences. So instead of instead of memorizing them, do you know do did did sorry do did done. It's better to make a little sentence every day. I do yesterday. I did lately. I've done my homework. Whatever. Every day I get an email. Yesterday I got an email. Lately I've gotten an email. Every day I have. The next one was the verb to have. De tener. Claro. Have. Every day I have. Every morning I have a glass of water. Before lunch I had a glass of water. Lately I've had a lot of glasses of water. And then every day I go. The last verb was go. And yesterday I went. And lately I've gone. Go went gone. Okay, so I'm not really sure um, how much you'd like me to explain, but I think it's just a question of uh, practicing with these verbs and gaining agility uh, with them. And um, but why don't we go ahead? Because I think Claudia has a second question. So let's take a look at that second question from Claudia. And the frequency phrases. So let's practice with some of those frequency adverbs. First, we have never. Why don't, why don't we go from, uh, from least frequent to most frequent? So never, nunca, never. And then let's say a little bit, a little bit more common than never, like uh, something you never do. I never, let's think of some examples. I never eat callos. Nunca. Como callos. I never eat callos. Bueno, hardly ever, que es casi nunca. Well, actually, that's more, I mean, I maybe I eat callos muy, muy, muy de vez en cuando, so I could say hardly ever. I hardly ever. And similar to hardly ever, we have almost never. Casi nunca, almost never, or hardly ever, okay? And then we have uh, rarely, que es raramente. Maybe 5% of the time, rarely. I rarely cook 
fish at home. Seldom. Muy pocas veces. Es muy parecido. Muy pocas veces. Seldom. Rarely. Those are similar. A little bit more often would be occasionally. En ocasiones. Occasionally. Occasionally. Right? I occasionally uh, travel to Andalusia. Not very often, but I occasionally go there. Sometimes. I sometimes have lunch in restaurants. Yeah, I don't, not, not very often, but algunas veces, sometimes. Often, we, often is a menudo. So let's say, to give you an idea of the strength, let's say 60%. A menudo, I often. I often have lunch. I, 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 often, um, I, uh, I often drink water with lunch. Not all the time, but I often drink water. It's the healthiest thing. Often. Normally, normalmente. Maybe 80% of the time. Normally, normally. Generally is the same. Generally. But notice we don't say yen, generally. No. Generally. Three syllables. Generally. G, 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 and the G is pronounced like a CH. G, g, generally. Usually is also normalmente. Usually. Almost always. Que es casi siempre. Almost always. I almost always have breakfast at home. And then finally, siempre. Always. I, uh, I try to always answer the questions from listeners. I, I always try to answer the questions from listeners. Okay, so let's look at these phrases because Claudia said, oh, frequency phrases? Well, if the, if the sentence ends with the verb to be, if it has the verb to be and is affirmative, then uh, the verb to be will go right before the frequency. So before the frequency adverb. So for example, he's always angry. Él siempre está enfadado. She's never ready. They are always complaining. Ellos siempre están quejándose. They are always complaining. Now, in the interrogative, we're going to put the frequency adverb after the subject. Okay? Is he always angry? Is she usually tired? Are they always complaining? ¿Están ellos siempre quejándose? Are they always complaining? So the affirmative, they're always complaining. The interrogative, are they always complaining? Now, it's a little bit different when we have a verb that is not the verb to be. With another verb, we would say, for example, he often has lunch at home, using the verb to have. He often has lunch at home. Okay, so the adverb would go between the subject and the verb. He often has lunch at home. They never, they, they never have time for me. Or she never, oh, que triste, she never has time for me. They usually have coffee. Suelen tomar café. Ellos normalmente toman café. They normally have coffee. They usually have coffee. And in the negative, we would say, he doesn't usually have time. So, he has time. He doesn't usually have time. I don't always, no siempre, tengo suficiente dinero. I don't always have enough money. Now, in the, if it's in the interrogative with a, another verb, we would say, do you always have lunch at home? Does he always have enough time? Do they always have enough money? So we have the auxiliary verb, does. Does he usually have enough time? For example, auxiliary verb, subject, frequency adverb, and the main verb. Does he always have enough time? Does he usually have enough time? Does he usually eat in restaurants? Okay. Okay, that, now it's also good to uh, consider when we're talking about frequencies to consider frequent uh, time references like once a week, una vez a la semana. So not just saying, oh, I, I often go there. So other than adjectives, we have 
particular expressions like, I go there once a week, twice a month. He plays tennis twice a month. El juega al tenis dos veces al mes. She travels three times a year. Ella viaja tres veces al año. Okay? And of course, when we ask questions, remember, this is where we're going to use often, the word often. ¿Con qué frecuencia? And how often, which literally is like saying, ¿Cuán a menudo? How? How often? Now, some people say often, and others say often. Often, often. Es igual. Me da igual. I don't care which one you choose. Often, often. How often do you have lunch at home? Oh, I have lunch at home every day. How often does your friend play tennis? He plays tennis twice a month. How often do you call your brother, Kyle? Well, I call my brother almost every day. I call him very often. How often do the Beatles play together? The Beatles never played together. How often did they play together in the 60s? They played together very often in the 60s. How often does it rain in Madrid? It rains in Madrid twice a month, maybe. Um, how often do French people speak French? French people speak French all the time. They always speak French. Now, some grammar purists would say that we, we should say per week. But we don't normally do that. We typically say a week. So we say three times a week. You know, I, uh, I eat in restaurants twice a week. I fly to Canada twice a year. I get my hair cut once a month. I eat fish once a week, right? Uh, just simply uh, once a week, twice a week, three times a day. I drink coffee four times a day. Yeah, probably too much coffee. I probably shouldn't drink so much because I, I do pro probably have about four cups a day. So that's a frequency right there. I have about four cups a day. I drink coffee four times a day. It's the same. All right, let's go ahead to our third question, or let's say our third uh, requesta fiesta. That's right, the third uh, request we've got. Let's hear it. Hey, Kyle, it's Marta. So, my questions are, well, first of all, difference between shit and shit. I mean, the noun S-H-E-E-T and yeah, the bad word S-H-I-T uh, because I always get confused. Okay, so we're going to cut this here because we have three different questions. Así que poco a poco, eh? Vamos poco a poco. The first one about the pronunciation of shit and sheet. Oh, good one. Pronunciation. Okay, so this is a good one, and this is one I get asked a lot, actually. Um, but the problem isn't how do you pronounce sheet and how do you pronounce shit. That's really not the problem, although people seem to think it is. The problem is the sound, el sonido. The eh, the eh, 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 que es un sonido que no existe en español. Vale, eso es el problema. This is a sound that does not exist in Spanish. So you also have the same thing. Now the word shit, que es mierda, claro. Estamos hablando de una mierda. We're talking about, yeah, uh, yeah, it's true. It's true, folks. But um, the same thing happens when we talk about, people always say, oh, bitch and beach, la playa, o otra cosa, ya sabes. But, but the problem with this is, 
in both these cases, we're relying on the, the pronunciation of a sound, un sonido que no existe en español, en castellano, which is the I, the short I, the I, I, I. So if I say, for example, no lo comas, por favor, oye, no lo comas, don't eat it, don't eat it, 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 eh, eh, eh. Other than sounding it out, there isn't much of a way for me to teach you to pronounce that sound. You got, you just have to practice. You have to listen to it. No lo comas. Don't eat it. Don't eat it. Okay? And then the same with shit and sheet. Shit, que es la mierda. Shit and sheet. En las sábanas. La sábana. The sheet. O una hoja de papel. A sheet of paper. A sheet of paper. Okay? Whereas shit is eh, 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 eh. And the same with bitch. Bitch. B-I-T-C-H. Versus beach, que es la playa. Okay? Eh, eh, eh. Okay? So the uh, that I sound doesn't exist in Spanish, so you simply have to practice. But without using any vulgar words, we can think of that sentence, no lo comas. Don't eat it. Don't eat it. So the key is... Like I always say for pronunciation, it comes through the ear, all right? So listen, practice makes perfect. So listen, 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 develop your ear, and uh, you should be able to hear the difference and then practice with your own voice until you get it right, okay? So people like to extrapolate that pronunciation problem to specific words, but really it's the sound itself that you have to master, Okay. And the second question, the second question, Anna asks us about, well, let's hear the second part of that question. Let's, let's hear it. And my other question is, could you talk about do a make, the difference things that you can do using do or make? I mean, do sports or make your bed, that kind of things. Could be amazing. Thank you so much for everything. I love your show. And take care. All right. Make and do. Um, yeah, el verbo es hacer. En español, hacer. El verbo hacer. Exactly. So, to make... Um, to make is typically to fabricate or create something. Like building, creating something. Whereas to do is almost like llevar a cabo. Carrying out, as we say, llevar a cabo to carry out processes or procedures. But the problem with make and do is that there are a lot of exceptions. There are a lot of exceptions, and you simply have to, unfortunately, you have to study them. You have to memorize them. There's no other way to do it. You simply have to memorize them. So in my book, The Verb Circus, I help you practice and develop agility with some of these, with make and do. Okay? So... Uh, for example, uh, I explain the basic rules, but then I give you some common examples. Like with the verb to do, we'd say to do better, to do a job, to do business, do something, do nothing, to do the dishes, to do exercises. Whereas some of the most common cases with to make would be to make a request, to make phone calls, to make mistakes, to make the bed, hacer la cama, make the bed, to make changes to make a speech, okay? So what I recommend you do is, is make 
lists of these, make sentences, not just memorizing the 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 cases, but make little sentences. Like for example, he did better he did better than last year, but he hasn't done better than he did three years ago. Okay. Uh, I did the job well last year, but I haven't done the job well this year. We did business in Spain years ago, but we haven't done business in Portugal yet. So you make these lists, and then you practice them, repeating them over and over. This is not something where I can teach you a rule and then ingrain it in your head. You have to practice, okay? So let's do three short sentences with make, okay? Um, She made two decisions yesterday, and she's made three more decisions today. She made her list, but I haven't made my list yet. We made a fortune last year, but we haven't made a fortune this year. So there you go, hacer una fortuna. Ganando mucho dinero. All right, so there you go, a little bit with make and do. Uh, we're out of time. I have, to, I have to take a quick break, but we can come back and we can actually practice with a little bit of focused translation, practicing with make and do after the break. So stick with us, folks. We'll be right back. Well, challenging times like this have led to some interesting musical collaborations. And in light of the fairly recent passing of the great Bill Withers, a group of Canadian musicians got together, a group including Justin Bieber, Michael Bublé, Alanis Morissette, Celine Dion, Brian Adams, Avril Lavigne, and many more, got together to perform the Bill Withers classic, Lean On Me, with all the proceeds being donated to the Canadian Red Cross. So this is a new take on a classic tune, Lean On Me. Sometimes in our lives, we all have pain, we all have sorrow, but if we are wise, we know that there's always tomorrow.
Welcome back to the Kyle Miller Show. Enough is enough. Go home and stay home. This is what we all need to be doing. Enough is enough. That's a good expression. Enough is enough, which is basically like saying basta ya in Spanish. Basta ya. Enough is enough. I've had enough. We've had enough. Enough is enough. Basta ya. And that was Canadian Prime Minister Justin Trudeau saying just that in response to uh, the behavior during the time of the COVID-19 coronavirus situation in Canada. And he says enough is enough. Go home and stay home. This is what we all need to be doing. So we're doing this all around the world. Everybody's doing this, going home and staying home. So he says, enough is enough. And he was reacting to people who weren't taking the, um, the quarantine serious enough. So he's saying, bueno, basta ya. A casa todos. Everybody go home. Enough is enough. So you could say that he was, maybe he was fed up, which is another expression, to be fed up with something, which means to be harto, or harta, harto in this, in this case, harto de algo, to be fed up with something, and we can say, yeah, to be fed up with something, you can say, I can't, no aguanto más, I can't stand it anymore, aguantar, to stand, or to bear, aguantar, Soportar. I can't stand it. I can't bear it. I can't put up with it. So to put up with, these kind of all mean the same thing. But the interesting thing here is when we say um, stand, we always use that in the negative. No aguanto más. I can't stand it anymore. I can't stand it anymore. He says, enough is enough. Basta ya. Go home and stay home. This is what we all need to be doing. And I think at a time like this, um, it's an interesting time and one where we can reflect. Uh, as I talk about the situation, I say a time like this, I'm talking about the coronavirus situation. And at a time like this, um, there are positives that can come out of this. And it's interesting. It's good to look on the bright side and to be optimistic. 
because people are coming together in uh, in a way that is truly special, in a way that's really unique and special. And I do also find that some people, you know, there's there there is some. It may sound strange, but I think there's some pleasure in the challenge of overcoming something like this. And of course, there's no pleasure in seeing someone ill. There's no pleasure in seeing someone get ill. There's no pleasure in losing someone you love or the health problems. Of course, there's absolutely no pleasure in that, of course. But it is interesting to consider um, the pleasure that comes from overcoming a challenge. Now, I, I grew up, I grew up in a house that was heated by wood, wood heat. And my parents still, when I go home to Canada to visit my parents, my father heats the house with wood. He, he cuts wood every year, chops it, splits it, stores it, right? He keeps it in the house. In the, in, well, first, one year, he keeps it for a year outside the house. And then in the second year, he puts it into the basement, in el sotano de la casa, and he stores it there, and then he burns it. And this... It sounds like a very almost romantic Canadian idea, but it's not the most typical thing. It is, it is absolutely, well, it's, it's, it's not totally uncommon, but it's not, um, your average household does not heat with wood, does not cut wood and heat with, with wood, but my, my parents still do. And I think my father always has this idea. He has this this, this idea that someday the power is going to go out, which it does. You know, they lose power. They lose electricity sometimes. We have big snowstorms in Canada, and you lose power. And my father, I think, has this fantasy in his head of the power going out and all the neighbors needing to come over and, be, and him being able to, to help the neighbors and having, you know, his wise decision, I suppose, to have a wood heat source become a necessity. And uh, the, he has had that happen a few times. They had a, a power outage. Right? Se cortó la luz. We say the power. We don't say the light. We say power. You say in Spanish, la luz, the light. But in English, we would say the power. The power went out for several days last winter. They had a major outage. In my town, I think there were about three or four days with no electricity. So my, my father was able to use the heat, uh, his, uh, his wood heat, and neighbors were coming over and they were getting warmed up and they were, uh, you know, cooking on a wood stove a little bit as well. It was like, a, like primitive times, but I don't know, there's something primal. It's like camping. You know, why do we love, why do people intentionally go camping? We spent hundreds of years, thousands of years developing a lifestyle of luxury, right? To be able to live in luxury, to be able to not have to camp, to, to have electricity, to have everything we want, the food we need in our refrigerator, to have a television, to have all these luxuries. But we will intentionally... Go into the woods, el bosque, vamos al bosque, o vamos al parque, o lo que sea, parque natural, o nacional, o lo que sea. We go to the parks, and we will pitch a tent 
Tienda campaña, we say a tent. To, and the verb is to pitch. P-I-T-C-H, que es montarlo. Very interesting verb, to pitch a tent. We'll pitch a tent and we'll sleep there. I do this all the time in Canada in the summers. When I go to Canada for the summer, I, um, I go camping. So this is something that um, you may... You may or may not enjoy, but a lot of people do. And why? We've fought. We have developed a lifestyle where we don't have to do that, but we choose to do it because we like to overcome challenges. You know, we like a little bit of drama. We like a challenge. And I think there is something about this overcoming the coronavirus situation that you may disagree, but there are certain, there is good that's going to come out of this. So let's be optimistic. Let's find the good. And I think also it's an opportunity to reflect. It's an opportunity to put your life on hold a little bit, your day-to-day life, without feeling guilty about not accomplishing certain professional things and say, I'm going to stop for a little while. Voy a parar un poco. Y reflexionar. I'm going to reflect on where I am, where I have been, and where I'm going. I'm going to think about people. I'm going to connect to people. And, uh, and that's a wonderful thing. That's a wonderful thing that is coming out of this, some, uh, some positive coming out of this. Absolutely. All right, well, I am, or I try to be a man of my word. I try to keep my word, and I said before the break that we would come back and practice a little bit more with make and do. So let's review. Remember I said before the break that with make and do, this requires memorization. Okay, you have to memorize certain things. There's good news and bad news here. Buenas noticias y malas noticias. Okay, las malas noticias. The bad news is, well, you have to memorize some things. The good news is they are very common exceptions or common, I don't know, abnormalities, let's say, with make and do or things that seem illogical. The number of these are, are so common that it'll probably sa- just sound right to you. And the best way to learn these is to simply practice over and over until you uh, gain agility with them. So by listening to English as much as possible, you can internalize these. But why don't we practice with a little bit of translation. Translation time. So I'm going to mix sentences with make and sentences with do, and I'll say the sentence in Spanish, and you can say it out loud in voz alta in English. All right, here we go. Number one. Ella hace tartas deliciosas. She makes delicious pies. She makes delicious pies. Okay. No hemos hecho la oferta aún. We haven't made the offer yet. Aún. Not yet. 
So yet, yet in the, here in the negative. Remember, yet is used in questions and in negatives. We haven't made the offer yet. Uh, ella hace el trabajo mejor que él. She does the job better than him. Ella hace el trabajo mejor que él. She does the job better than him. No lo he hecho desde hace años. I haven't done it for years. I, I haven't done it for years. Okay, number, what is this? Number five. Él no ha podido ganarse la vida sin su ayuda. Y bueno, su de ellos, ¿vale? Él no ha podido ganarse la vida sin su ayuda. Su de ellos. He hasn't been able to make a living. Make, ganarse la vida. He hasn't been able to make a living without their help. He hasn't been able to make a living without their help. De momento, he hecho tres tareas. I have done three assignments so far. De momento, so far, hasta ahora, hoy, hasta, bueno, hasta ahora, hasta ahora. Hombre, we're talking about the uh, present perfect. Anytime we use hasta ahora, en lo que va del día, en lo que va de, de la semana, lo que sea, we're going to use the present perfect tense. So I, I've done three assignments, three tasks, three assignments so far. No hemos hecho la oferta. Oh, I said that one already, didn't I? We haven't made the offer yet. Okay, here we go. Um, no se nos permitió elegir. We weren't allowed, claro, we weren't allowed to choose, but you can also say we weren't allowed to make the choice. To make, We weren't allowed to make the choice. Él hacía su mejor trabajo a principios de los años 80. He was doing his best work. He was doing his best work. In the early 80s, principios de los 80, he was doing his best work in the early 80s. No lo he hecho desde hace años. I haven't done it for years. Desde hace años. I haven't done it for Years. We're talking about a period here. Years. Desde hace años. I haven't done it for years. I haven't done it since, you know, 2016. I haven't done it for years. Okay, and the last one. Me hago la cama cada mañana. I make my bed every morning. Cada mañana. Eso sí. I make, I make my bed. I make my bed every morning. I make, I, I, I make my bed. So, hacer la cama. We say, hacerse la cama, ¿no? To make 
the bed. I make the, the bed, everyone. I make my bed. You make your bed. And we also have the expression, you make your own bed. It means you, 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 you have to live by the consequences of your actions. Hey, he made his own bed. He can't complain. He made his own bed. He did it. Now he has to deal with the consequences. Okay. All right. So I've answered a bunch of questions. We also had uh, Anna asked about spelling. We can talk a little bit about spelling as well. But I want to say that if you have questions, you can you can write to me on Instagram. I'm Kyle Miller. I'm Kyle Miller on Instagram. Send me your uh, questions in audio format and I'll build them into the show. Yay! Okay, all right. So let's talk a little bit about spelling. And the problem, it's interesting because in Spanish, I don't think people learn really to spell the same because there isn't such an emphasis placed on spelling because you have one vowel sound, or at least you claim you do. You say you have one sound for each vowel, so people sound out, they sound them out. They say, you know, alicante. And you know how to say you know you know how to say it, but in English we'd say A L I C A N T E, Alicante, right? But this is true. I remember traveling in. I was traveling in South America. I was traveling in Bolivia. This was about ten years ago, and I went to visit the Salar de Uni, which, by the way, I recommend. Bolivia is one of the most incredible countries to visit. I strongly recommend you visit Bolivia. It's a, it's a it's full of surprises, it's affordable. And there are two main attractions that I saw in Bolivia that I really that I was really impressed with. One was the Salar de Uni, which is the, the salt flats of the Atacama Desert north of Chile. And the other is um, was a national park called Rurinavake in the Pampas of the Pampas, Las Pampas, which I guess is their, their way of saying like the marshlands or something like that. But if you go from La Paz, you can fly from La Paz. I, I flew, actually, it was a military charter flight, I believe, but the military was allowed, they were selling seats to fly people into this park. And La Paz is a very high altitude, so it's cold. I was there in August, but it was cold in La Paz. So we flew from La Paz to Rurinavake in the, the jungle. And I remember getting onto the airplane with this big winter coat on. And then getting out and it being in the jungle and being hot. So I actually, uh, yeah, I was just like all of a sudden just sweating and it was incredible. Um, but, oh yeah, my story here is that I took, while I was, while I was in, not Rodonabake, but while I was in the, uh, Salar de Uni, which is an incredible salt flat, I recommend you, um, visit it if you, if you go to South America. I went on a guided tour with a family. This was with, I was with my brother. And we, there was a family, uh, a husband and wife and their young daughter. Um, their young daughter, who was about three. And the man would drive, the woman would, would cook the meals and, and prepare and do this guided tour. 
And the daughter was there with us as well the whole time. So it was just for three of them and my brother and I, we were traveling for a few days in the um, northern part of the Atacama Desert and into this area called the Salar de Union. It was, it was an incredible trip. But after a few hours, I had forgotten the woman's name. She told me her name, and I, I for, kind of had forgotten what it was. So I just asked her, I said, how do you spell your name? And her name was Rocio, or Rocio, as she said. But I said, how do you spell it? ¿Cómo se deletrea tu, tu nombre? I said. And she said, she, and she looked at me and she said, Rocio. <laughs> so I, f- I found that funny because in English you'd always say R-O-C-I-O, R-O-C-I-O. But nobody would, nobody, people don't really say that. In Spanish you would say Rocio because they would, thinking with the Spanish mind, you think, well, there's one sound per vowel. So if I sound it out, if I sound it out, if I pronounce it broken down like that, this person's going to know how to how to say it. But this is a typical. This is a common trick, right? When you don't, you can't remember someone's name. Oh, how do you spell that? And they're like, "Well, it's a Anna, or no, it's a Pedro, P E D R O." Wow, whoops, right? But anyway, uh, Rocio. So anyway, spelling. So you have to remember. Uh, the vowels, los vocales. And this is the problem that Anna said. So I think we can practice. Um, let me let me say, let me read off uh, three Canadian cities and you're going to write them down. Voy a leer la palabra. Okay, so let's play Spelling Time. Spelling time, everybody. Okay, so I'm going to say three Canadian cities, and you can write them down, and then we'll practice this spelling. Okay? The first one is Edmonton. Edmonton. Number two, Regina. And number three, Saskatoon. Como? Saskatoon. Okay, we're going to review. I'll spell them out once, and then we'll go back and review. Okay, the first one was Edmonton, and it was E-D-M-O-N-T-O-N. E-D-M-O-N-T-O-N. Edmonton. Edmonton is known as the City of Champions. It's in the province of Alberta, which is famous for its oil. Alberta is sort of like the Texas of Canada. But Edmonton is not the oil capital. Well, the business center is more the city of Calgary, which is at the base of the beautiful Rocky Mountains. And Edmonton is a bit more of a blue-collar worker hub rather than a business hub center. But Edmonton, E-D-M-O-N-T-O-N, okay? The second one was Regina. Regina, R-E-G-I-N-A, Regina. And Regina is famous for being the home of the Royal Canadian Mounted Police, the Policia Montada de Canada, the RCMP. 
and it's where they have their training center. So if you're if you are recruited into the police force in Canada, you would have to go to Regina to to go through a training course in Regina, and this is in the province of Saskatchewan. Okay, now the the second significant city in the province of Saskatchewan is my last answer by the last city, which is Saskatoon. Saskatoon. S-A-S-K-A-T-O-O-N. S-A-S-K-A-T-O-O-N. Sask. Saskatoon. So it's sort of a, a, a business hub for that area, for the province of Saskatchewan. So let's practice the spelling one more time. The first one was Edmonton. E. E is in uh, España. E de España, but E-D-M-O-N-T-O-N. Edmonton, but Edmonton, we say. And the second one was Regina. R-E-G-I. And A, se escribe Regina. And the third one, Saskatoon. S-A-S-K-A-T-O-O-N. So there are, so S-A-S-K-A, as in Alicante, T-O-O-N. Saskatoon. So when you slow down, the spelling shouldn't be that hard, right? When you slow down, and you reiterate, and you practice. Um, the spelling shouldn't be so hard, but you know it's a good it's a good practice to uh, write out words and then spell them out in English and spell them out out loud in voz alta. Okay, um, we'll do more spelling on another program. We'll come up with that and we'll practice uh, with the alphabet and the spelling a little bit more. But we have to finish there. Um, Send me your questions. Mándame tus preguntas, everybody. Send them in by Instagram. I'm Kyle Miller, and you can send them in audio. Send me an audio message, and I will try my best to build your questions into a future show. All right, folks, thanks for listening. And, uh, hey, keep studying, keep working hard, and we'll see you next time. Bye-bye.